Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to know and learn of the ways how God is using this ministry to work in the lives of others. If you have a story about how this ministry has touched your life or how God is working in your life right now, we ask that you let us know and send us an email at amen at yourepicenter.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you may do so online so that we can continue to bring you messages just like this one every week. Today's message is from Lead Pastor Mark Knight, and our hope is that you are truly encouraged by today's message along your journey. Here's what I want to do when there's, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? I, I want to give you three practical yet biblical responses to that question. When it begins to become overwhelming in your life, I want to show you what Scripture says. In fact, I want you to go back with me to our main narrative, which is in the book of John chapter 5, and we're going to begin to dissect a few verses at a time. I want to show you what Jesus does to take a, a, a situation where a person and several people are at a disadvantage and he turns it into an advantage. I want to show you how that works. So if you're taking notes, how do we turn the disadvantage into an advantage? Let me tell you how. There's three different ways. The first thing that you need to do is separate fact from truth. Let me say that again. Write that down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, write that down. Separate facts from truth. In fact, the book of John, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, let me read a couple of verses and we'll, we'll stop and offer some commentary on these verses. It says this in verse 1. It says, Sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Beautiful area. Incredible area. An area that we have in recent years have excavated so we know of its existence we know that it was there it was considered one of the most beautiful areas however it gave way to the ugliness of disadvantage and that's what John is trying to show you here in fact look at verse 3 verse 3 outlines for us the plot of this story verse 3 says here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame the paralyzed here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the, the lame the, the paralyzed. You, you see, what we see here is John defining for us that there are hundreds of people who've gathered in this place who are fighting and struggling with the disadvantages of life. Some of their disadvantages are self-inflicted. Some of their disadvantages are not self-inflicted. Maybe they were born with such disadvantage. But whatever the case, they find themselves facing something in life that is much, much greater than them. So, so what you have is Jesus walking through the streets of Jerusalem and he comes upon this area, this beautiful area called Bethesda. It's the rendezvous point for those who are at a, a, a serious level of being disadvantaged. And so they're all hanging out, hundreds of people there just kind of mourning their issues, their problems, their struggles together. Now, I don't want you to disconnect from the story here because you think, well, that's the way they lived. But let me just be perfectly honest with you. Today, if you have a problem, you tend to gravitate towards someone who has that problem. 
It's just the way life is. We gravitate towards others who are in the same boat that we are. So here is this group of people um, who have found themselves disadvantaged, if you will, gathered around this pool of Bethesda, crying out. Miserably crying out. And again, do not disconnect because you may not gather around a pool called Bethesda, but you gather around a pool called Facebook. Let your fingers do the talking. My husband's a jerk. My marriage sucks. My boss is horrible. And we begin to accentuate, publicize, and advertise the calamity in our life. That's what's happening at this pool of Bethesda. But what John is trying to show us is the history of this place is beautiful, but yet the disadvantage have turned it into something that is less than beautiful. Not because of their hardships or their disabilities, but really because of something that's deeper. And we're going to call it sickness. The, the issue that's behind their condition, because their, their extremities, if you will, the, their symptoms, they feel like are the issues. But there's an issue behind the issue. There's a core root problem that caused many of these people to possibly be in this situation. Now, now, get with me here. I, I'm not trying to preach heresy. I'm not saying that they sinned and that caused them to be in this situation. I'm not going there. What I am saying is that there's usually a deeper problem that causes you to have the symptoms that you have. It's kind of like if you have a headache and you keep having this recurring headache, there is something deeper than just the headache. The headache is the symptom of a greater problem. So, so there's a sickness here. John is trying to draw our attention to the needs of humanity, the problems of humanity. There is a sickness here. You see, the enemy wants to inflict upon you sickness. I don't necessarily mean in your physical body, not necessarily physical sickness, although that is the case. The enemy wants to inflict upon you sickness in your relationships. Sickness in your finances. He wants to inflict upon, think about this, sickness in your relationships so that all, your, all of your relationships begin to fall apart around you. The enemy wants to inflict upon you sickness in your spiritual walk so that you become spiritually blind. That way you can see with your physical eyes the disadvantage in your life, but yet you cannot see with the eyes of your heart. Hello? The enemy wants to inflict upon you sickness in your self-worth. That way you cannot recognize the valuable person that you are in God's eyes. The enemy wants to cause your life to be paralyzed. He wants to rob you of your ability to have success. He wants life to continue to move on and time go faster and faster and faster, but yet your life feels like it's at a standstill. Have you ever been there? Let me declare to you today, it does not matter what device what plot, what scheme that the enemy uses against you, that he's trying to keep you away from what God created you to be. But what I'm here today to declare to you is that you will be all that God created you to be. You will do all that God created you to do. Because all you have to do is you may not understand what you're going through. You may not be able to figure out how to fix it. But all you have to do is what Jehoshaphat said. But my eyes are upon you. You see... When verse 3 plays out in your life, when life throws verse 3 at you, and you're not sure what to do, 
You don't know how to fix it. You don't know why it's happening. You don't know. When all of those things are happening, do not allow the enemy to rob your focus, to place it upon the disadvantage of your life. Because if you begin to... To, to place your attention upon the disadvantage of your life, you're taking God off the throne. Do not allow the enemy to cause you to lay outside of a pool called Bethesda and groan and moan about what you do not have because God wants to take the disadvantages in your life and turn them into advantages. Are you with me? In fact, let me just be transparent with you this morning. Extremely transparent. I can do this today because she's not here. You think I'm going to my wife, but I'm not. hey, hey. Um, my mother, many of you know she goes to church here, her, my father and my mother, and my mother is, is in the, really the last stages, the very late stages, I should say, of Parkinson's. I've watched my mother's health deteriorate. I've seen her go from this woman of quick wit and extreme amounts of energy to now not being able to control her limbs, having a loss of function with her legs, being wheelchair-ridden. And to be honest with you, I don't fully understand it. I've prayed, God, heal her. She's a saint. She's never done anything wrong. God, heal her. God hasn't healed her. And I, I, I've watched my mother get worse and worse and worse. I've seen her fall out of wheelchairs. and In fact, Last year, in July, almost a year ago, she fell out of, uh, of the wheelchair, hit her head on the corner of something, and, and, and when I got to the house, she was laying in a pool of blood. We had an ambulance take her to, to the hospital, and I'm like, why, God? I don't understand this. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? I've watched her try to speak to me at night, and paralysis of her vocal cords because of Parkinson's keeps her from speaking to me when she's tired. Why, God? What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? And then God dropped this into my spirit. He said, just because I have not healed her, does that change the truth of who I am? I didn't fully understand that, but I hung out with that statement for probably the better part of a month or two. Then I began to bombard heaven again. God, I need better understanding here. And then God dropped this into my spirit. Just because I have not done a work in her does not mean I'm not doing a work through her. Again, didn't fully understand that. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? Until later, again, he put in my spirit, I may not have healed her, but one thing is obvious in her faith. Her sickness, her disadvantage has not swayed her faith whatsoever. So the work that he's doing through her has empowered me to trust him that much more. You see, in her sickness I have heard her cry out. I do not know what to do. But my eyes are upon you. And if in her extreme sickness she can hold on to the reins of her faith, then surely in my light and momentary trials I can be trust, 
trust, put my trust in Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. Surely in her extreme disadvantage, in my light and momentary trials, I can place my extreme trust in a God who cares for me. Surely I can. So the work that he's doing through her is empowering others to be more faithful in their journey. In fact, I'm sitting here thinking about the very thought of the disadvantage. I think sometimes we think that because we're at a disadvantage, that that means that God cannot use us. That's so far from the truth. And let me tell you something. Your disadvantage does not prevent the presence of God. Your disadvantage is an opportunity for God to reveal His presence in your life. He didn't walk up to the pool of Bethesda and say, Oh, this ain't for me. There's too many disadvantaged here. He walked right into the midst of them and did something incredible. Are are you with me? So here are all these guys who and girls and, and all of the different people who are lying around this pool of Bethesda, if you will, and, and just kind of accentuating their problems. Oh, so broke, busted, and disgusted. <sighs> How about you? Oh, man, I'm so lonely. I have to hang steak around my neck for the dogs to hang out with me. Oh, gosh, man, my boss is horrible. I hate it. (sighs) My wife's driving me crazy. (sighs) Listen, let me tell you something. Do not allow, I don't care what it is, do not allow the disadvantage of your life to blind you from the truth of who God is. Hello? Do not allow the disadvantage of your life to blind you from who God truly is. Think about this for a moment. I I, I gave this a lot of thought this week. How many of you know we're overcomers? Raise your hand. If you know we're an overcomer, God said you're an overcomer. If you know you're an overcomer, raise your hand. Well, the only way that you know that you're an overcomer truly is not by hearing it in the Word, but it's by experiencing it in life. When you begin to experience it in life, you realize that you're an overcomer. In other words, you have to have something to come against you in order for you to come over it. In fact, this week I was reading a book. I don't have time to really go into the book. It's an awesome book. It's called Aha. It's by Kyle Eidelman. One page that really jumped out at me this week that I thought was definitely appropriate for where we are this morning. I want to read it to you, but before I do, let me just say I'm paraphrasing some of this because I don't have time to read all of the chapters. I'm only going to read probably a chapter or so. But the basis behind what I'm about to read to you was this individual who had gone through some very difficult seasons in their lives. And so he brought this couple into the room and he said, okay, I'm going to write all of the difficulties in your life on a whiteboard and I'm going to hand you an eraser. And if you could erase any of those, which ones would you erase? Well, this family began to erase all of these things, and pretty soon, you know, the board was blank. They'd taken everything that was hard off the board, everything that was difficult off the board. Every disadvantage they ever had, they took it off the board. And so he writes this, he says, Do we really think that a privileged life of smooth sailing is going to make us happy? What if you erase a difficult circumstance that will cause you to wake up to prayer? What if you erase a hardship that's going to show you how to be joyful in spite of any circumstance? Mm. 
What if you erase some pain and suffering that ends up being the catalyst that God uses in your life to cause you to cry out to Him? Mm. What if you erase a difficult circumstance that wakes you up to God's purpose for your life? He goes on to write this. It may sound harsh to say, but the number one contributor to spiritual growth is not sermons, it is not books or small groups. The number one contributor to spiritual growth is difficult circumstances. Can we get an amen for the disadvantages? It's tough to amen a disadvantage, isn't it? Some of y'all are like, amen to my bank account that's in the red. So how do we grow in our faith when we feel like we're at a disadvantage? How, how do we do that? First, can, can, let me tell you this. You've got to separate fact from truth. You see, the fact was Moses had a speech impediment. The fact is Moses was a murderer. The fact is Moses was in a place that he shouldn't have been in. The fact is Moses didn't have a clue as to what he's doing. But the truth is he came to a keen awareness of God, the great I Am. And he forgave him, he emboldened his tongue, and he led the people out of captivity into the promised land. The fact is, David should have never been able to take on Goliath. David was a naive teenage boy. He had no business being on the battlefield with this giant. That's the facts. But the truth is, David became aware of God the Deliverer, so he swung the stone and it hit the Goliath right in the head and he dies. Why? Because the truth is, God is the Deliverer. You see, it doesn't matter what the facts are. It's the truth of God's Word. You see, the facts are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had no clue as to what to do with Nebuchadnezzar. So he throws them into the fiery furnace. They should have died in the fiery furnace. But the Bible says that they came out unscathed and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. You see, what I'm saying to you is these individuals, even though they found themselves in a disadvantaged situation, they did not give in to the disadvantage. Instead, they put their eyes upon a God who cared for them and realized that He was their advantage because they said, if He is for me, then who can be against me? I'm going to look to the hills from whence my help comes. I may not know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. It's like the old country preacher says. I've had to work on this. He says, Your perception determines your direction. You should have gave me a little more than that. That was just like a horrible laugh. You know what I'm saying? I want to change that and make it your perception determines your reception. I'll pay you later. Here's the truth. Think about it. We all have a perception of who Jesus is. We tend to operate our faith based upon our perception of who Jesus is. Think about this with me. Jesus is our Savior who desires to forgive us. But Jesus is not only a Savior who desires to forgive us, He's also a teacher who desires to teach us how to live in the disadvantages of life. Not only is He a Savior who forgives us, a teacher who teaches us, but He's our King. Not only is He our King, but in conjunction with all of those, He is also our Deliverer. 
He desires to deliver us from the difficulties in our life. He desires to heal us from the calamity of life. That's who Jesus is. That, that's the perception that we need to have. But here lies the problem. If all you focus on is Jesus, the Savior who forgives, but you ignore Jesus, the Savior who delivers, the Savior who sets you free, the Savior who heals your body, you'll be going to heaven, but you'll be going there broke, busted, and disgusted, living a life of disadvantage because you do not realize, you do not perceive who Jesus is in His splendor and His grandeur. We need to open up our eyes to the beauty of Jesus and how He helps us in life he's more than just someone who can forgive you he's someone who wants to deliver you who wants to teach you who wants to show you how to turn the messed up situations in your life into a message the mess becomes the message see that's who Jesus is you've got to turn take your disadvantages and take and separate fact from truth here's the second thing that i want you to do write this down if you want to turn your disadvantages into advantages then you've got to use your faith let me show you something look with me john chapter 5 beginning in verse 5 i want you to see this it says one was there Okay, he's highlighting all of the people who are there. He's perused the crowd he sees. I don't know exactly why he chose this one individual. He's God. I'm not. So you ask him when you get there. But hundreds of people and he chooses one. Here's the deal. He says one was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years this dude had been coming to this water hole. 38 years. I, I don't know how far into the ministry of Christ this miracle takes place. I could probably research it and find out. It's fairly early in the book of John. I would think it's probably within the first year. The point that I'm making is this guy is going to a place that is known for folklore because the angel just flies over the pool of Bethesda. The water boils and you jump in and you're healed. He's going there because he has faith in a folklore while Jesus, the Savior of the world, is walking the streets around. Hmm. Let's go on and read verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Somewhat of an outlandish question. Do you want to get well? Well, well no, Jesus. I don't want to get well. I, I like lying here on this mat, you know? In fact, two guys drug me in. You see the blood on the back of my heels? <laughs> That's where my feet, you know, fell off the mat while they were dragging me. I love this, Jesus. I mean, think about it. Do you want to get well? I mean, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I've been overlooked. I've been undervalued. I've been messed up for 38 years. What do you think, Jesus? Yes, I want to get well. So why would Jesus ask this question, do you want to get well? If you read the narrative, you will discover that there is a plethora of possible reasons that Jesus posed this question. I want to focus on one. Why did Jesus ask him this? Notice the question. The question is, do you want to get well? Do you want to be whole? He does not say, do you believe I can heal you? He says, do you want to be whole? In other words, Jesus is saying, it's not, do you believe that I can heal you? But rather, it's, are you willing to participate as the patient in the healing process? Not are you 
or do you believe that I can heal you? But as the patient, are you willing to participate in the healing process? Think about it. You have a headache. Let's go back to the doctor. The doctor's going to diagnose your problem. He's going to give you a prescription. He's going to tell you this is what you have to do. And, and you've got to go fill this prescription. And it's going to deal with the deeper issue. But yet, you get the prescription filled, but you never take the medicine. In other words, there are some things that you have to do to participate in the healing process. Up until this moment, this guy didn't have to have any faith to come and lay beside of a pool called Bethesda. Somebody had to place him there. He didn't have to have any faith to lay on his mat. But now that Jesus is about to get all up in his business, Jesus wants to know, are you willing to do what it takes to live a life of healing? Because how many of you know when Jesus gets up in your mess, he rearranges some things. This dude's not going to be laying beside a pool any longer. He may have to go to work. Hello? See, it goes back to two weeks ago I preached this message, give me Jesus versus make me Jesus. We have prayers, give me, give me, give me, but Jesus is looking for the make me, make me, make me. This is an opportunity where he wants to address the deeper issue. Not just the external condition, but, but the condition that's going on inside of his life. In fact, how many of you know when you read certain miracles in the Bible, sometimes Jesus said your sins are forgiven before he ever healed them? And it's like, okay, well, I came to you for healing, but that's good that you forgave me. But, 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 but the deal is that Jesus wants to get inside of here before he deals with whatever's going on here. See, in fact, even in this story, he tells this dude at the end of the story, which we won't read today, but you can go home and read it. He says, listen, if you don't stop sinning, something worse is going to happen to you. Whew. Getting all deep up in God's house here. If you don't stop sinning, something else is going to... In other words, there's some things that we ask from God that we think we need, but we really don't need. In other words, let me make it more personal. Some of you are asking for things that you think you need, but you really don't need them. You need God to do something that's better that's going to fix what you perceive to be the problem he's going to deal with the core issue you see let me be more frank god will use the paralyzation in your life to draw you close to him not to fix your need but to address the real problem and you want to talk about that i want to talk about my paralyzation but god wants to talk about this the condition of your heart you want to talk about that. The condition of my marriage, the condition of my finances, the condition. I, I want to talk about this. This is what I want you to do, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you, you may have some issues there, but your condition is not your messed up marriage. Your condition is your messed up heart. You think your condition is your marriage, but, but your condition is the condition of selfishness. So before I can deal with the conditions of your environment, I've got to first deal with the conditions of your heart. And unless I deal with the conditions of your heart, I cannot deal with the disadvantages of your life. Come on, somebody. We want him to deal with this. But he's over here saying, I... Before I can even deal with that, I got to deal with this. Because this is oftentimes what causes that. Hello? Huh. 
going to change how I'm going to close this. So whoever's playing for me, come on back. Go with me to verse 7. Go to verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Sir, the invalid replied, Do, do I want to get well? Sir, he replied, he's having a pity party. I, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He's having this huge pity party. Here's the thing with verse 7. You remember Jehoshaphat said, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. The Savior of the world is standing in front of this man. And he's complaining about what's not happening in his life. What that tells me is that his disadvantage has become so large in his life that he can't even see that Jesus is right in front of him. He can't even see the beauty of the covered porches because all he can see is the disadvantage of his life. He can't see the beauty of Jesus Christ, our deliverer, our healer, standing in front of him because all he can see is the disadvantage of someone else beating him into the pool. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? That's the question we're talking about. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then Jesus said to him, I want you to get up and pick up your mat and walk. At the moment that Jesus vocalized, get up, your, get up and pick up your mat and walk. When the air left his lungs, was wafted across his vocal cords, and his tongue enunciated the words, get up, pick up your mat and walk, something power, powerful happened. Something that should bring all of us great hope. Look what it says in verse 9. It says, And at once the man began to crawl until he could walk. At once the man began to stagger. Like he had been hanging out the night before somewhere. He shouldn't have been. At once. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says that at once. The man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Hold on a second. At once, the man... Listen, when he came to the realization that the Savior of the world was in front of him, I don't know what to do, but all of a sudden his eyes were opened up and who was he looking at? Jesus. But my eyes are upon you. Mm. Hold on a second. The disadvantage becomes an advantage because God's in my life. My eye... Uh, Go back with me. This is how we're going to close. Differently than what was intended. But go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles. Or, yeah, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We left off in verse 12. Here was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was saying to the group of people, we don't know what to do. We don't know how we're going to overcome this vast army that is coming against us. We don't, we're outnumbered. We're out-resourced. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you and look what happens in verse 13 it says all of the men of judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the lord then the spirit of the lord came upon jehaziel son of zechariah the son of benaiah the son of all of the sons 
<laughs> a lot of them there. Verse 15, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem with exclamation point. Notice that. Listen. In other words, something big and bad is about to happen. He says this. He says, This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours. I, I may need to go back and check my notes and make sure, but I really think at that point in time it was supposed to say everybody should be applauding that the battle is not ours. I may not know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. Look, he said, because the battle is not yours, but whose is it? It's God's. You see, he was at a disadvantage, but his disadvantage became an advantage because God is with him, and he didn't have to worry about overcoming the foe because he realized that his greatest advantage was being aware that God was going to overcome the foe for him. It was not how he fought or who he fought. It was whom was on his side. He said, but God's. Hold on a second. For the battle is not yours. I love that. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Look at the first word in verse 16. What is that first word? What is it? Hold that thought. Hold on. So do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, hold on. Oh, let this resonate with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed because of this vast army that is coming against you. Do not be discouraged because of the calamity that's in your life. Do not be dismayed because of the calamity that's in your marriage. Do not be overcome by the problems of this world. Do not be dismayed because of the financial difficulty that you're in. Do not be afraid that all of the things that are around you seem to be greater than you. Do not be afraid of the broken relationship that is causing you to stay up at night. Do not be afraid of the things that the enemy has thrown at you. Do not be afraid by the sickness that the enemy has placed in your life. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the battle is not yours. Because tomorrow, God's going to do something brand new in your life. Come on, somebody. Rise up and praise Him. Everybody remain standing. Here's the deal. Watch this. Aren't you glad for tomorrow? Aren't you glad that today and yesterday doesn't have to define who we are, but there's a tomorrow. Tomorrow, watch this, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find Jehoreel, or, or, or you'll find them at the gorge, at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jehoreel. You will not have to fight this battle. Just take up your position. Stand firm. Listen, just take up your position not take up your sword not, not take up your position you, some of you need to take up your position you've been lying at the pool of Bethesda now it's time to get up and walk it says stand firm see the deliverance the Lord will give old Judah and Jerusalem do not be afraid do not be discouraged go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you the same God that he cried out to 
the day before. Jehoshaphat, now listen, here's the deal. The third thing, and you probably missed this because I didn't give it to you. Just check to see if you're paying attention. But you have to turn disadvantages into advantages by, number one, separating fact from truth. Number two, using your faith. Go ahead and write this down. I'm going to give you a chance. Number three is you got to hang on. Hanging on is not the fun part. You gotta hang on when your hands are tired and you're losing your grip. Hang on when your marriage looks like it's at its end. Hang on when your finances are not working out. Hang on when your kids are driving you crazy. Hang on when your body is not functioning way it was created to function hang on when despair sets in hang on when problems seem to be so big hang on because the battle is not yours it's God's and so many times we let go and throw in the towel before we ever realize the victory and and one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to see that the victory was one step away but we let go because God didn't show up in our timing there's nothing in God's word that says he's going to show up when you want him to he knows the perfect timing he's going to show up when he needs to show up because he's working through you and also in you but he's also bringing his glory to pass through you so that others will be saved because of what you're going through So hang on. Watch what happens. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord and then some of the Levites and all of those people. Verse 20. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Again, an exclamation point. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in the prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise Him for the splendor of His holiness. As they went out ahead of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Now watch this, verse 22. As they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon. Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. They were defeated. Verse 23, the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. (laughs) The battle was not theirs. It was the Lord's. When the men of Judah came to the place marching, When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Lord have mercy. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could even take away. Oh, boy. Hold on a second. So... God can take the disadvantage and use it for your advantage. The difference is where are you looking? What are you focused on? 
Are you laying out beside of the pool, having the pity party? Or are you going to be like the men that we've discussed today and separate the facts? Use your faith and hang on because the battle is not yours. It's God's. He desires to deliver you. He wants to restore you. He desires to set you free. He wants to set your feet upon the rock. He wants to elevate you. He wants to promote you. He desires to give you all the good things of His Word. He's not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper.